Hey everybody, this is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. Welcome to the Invested Podcast, where we are learning how to invest, Warren Buffett style. Yeah. Fantastically, uh, that's I think just the fantastically best way to invest that there is in the world, period. Plain and simple. <laughs> That's the all. fantastically best way to invest in the world specifically. That's right. That Amazing. One is... I want to write a new book called that. <laughs> just, I just, people will be like, what's the title of your book? Well, it's just called, you know, the fantastically best way to invest in the world specifically. <laughs> okay. And people will be like, I really want to read that book. I think it's fantastic. Okay, it's let me fantastically try again. fantastic. <laughs> let me... Let me try again. No, don't. I love it. Just leave. Okay. We're, okay. we're moving on. Okay. And the way we're going to do that is to have a really comprehensive checklist, but not too comprehensive, not, not too, too long. Not too long. Has to be just right. Like not too porridge. short, not too long, not too fat, not too skinny. That's right. Just yeah. right. Just right. Working on it. And so here we are working on the moat part of this checklist. So tell us about the checklist so far. Okay, well, so far we've done, um, the checklist is structured as the rules acronym, right? It's mm -hmm. in these big tabbed sections for radar, -E understand, R-U-L-E-S, radar, understand, love, event, story, and version. And then we'll have one or more checklists under each of those. Um, there's one checklist under radar. There are six checklists under understand. Oh, and then yeah. there's one checklist in each of the other ones. Okay, so understand so, is really the complicated one. It's the one, and, and we're we're well into it now because understand has three checklists that tell us that the business is wonderful, and that is meaning, moat, and management. Okay. And then three checklists that tell us what price to pay for it, which is margin of safety analysis, the 10 cap analysis and the payback time analysis. Oh, I dread those ones, but they're far in the future. Far in the future. So. Right now we are on to the moat of the business, what Charlie calls the durable competitive intrinsic advantage. Keyword intrinsic here. Durable, okay. competitive, and intrinsic is what we're looking for. So your checklist is, now let's just say again, and you guys have been listening to this series, so you know already, but this checklist is personal to my dad. I have not seen it in advance. We're going through it one by one together. And the goal here is to give inspiration ideas for how we might all come up with our own checklists, but with the very strong caveat that these are very individual to the person. And that's why it's interesting to go through it actually together, because the way you think about it, since you wrote it, is different the way I hear it sometimes. And it's very interesting to, to see those differences. Yeah, and I, I, I like how Monash went, Monash Pribri went about creating his checklist, which I think ballparkish is 90 or, or more items. Okay. And his checklist is, is derived from errors, hmm. either his or others. Yeah, well, you put in our book um, the list of expensive errors, mm -hmm. which is kind of a checklist. It's a good checklist. Yeah. What Monash did is go through all of Warren Buffett's letters since the 1960s and ferret out that part of the letter that described, mm -hmm. as he sometimes does, where he went wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, he did this shoe company, I think. Uh, he had a couple of shoe companies. One was Brown Shoes, and they did pretty good. And then there was another shoe company, Dexter Shoes, where they got smoked. The company just got crushed. 
Hmm. And, um, and he really goes into a nice writing about, or a nice explanation about what, what was the difference, what had happened, what had changed. And what had changed is China happened. Hmm. And they didn't pick up on that, that China was going to produce cheap shoes. And they got smoked on their second shoe company. They would have got smoked on their first one, but that was pre-China. To so, our discussion from last episode about how extensively does one come up with ways that the industry could fail or the industry could be disrupted. Right what was the thing? I can say, no, no, not that one. I, that I know why businesses fail in exactly. the industry. Exactly. Um, and sometimes things come along that you can't, you haven't necessarily the seen before. But most of it's pretty darn slow. I mean, if you just pick your head up and look around, and I think this is, Charlie Munger has said that Warren Buffett is a learning machine and that he's made plenty of mistakes. We're all making plenty of mistakes. We're all learning. Mm -hmm. But why not learn from a guy who's like just done the best job of all of, of investing and has made mistakes in the process that he's corrected over time? And so, yeah, there's Dexter mm -hmm. Shue, big mistake. Yeah. Warren, and Manesh talks about it, and Warren talks about it extensively. Hmm. So you don't hide from your mistakes. You use them. You know, a mistake is really just an opportunity to get better unless you do it again. <laughs> and then it's dumb. <laughs> you shouldn't be doing that. All right, so that's why a checklist. So let's let's go. Moat, moat time. Okay. Give right, me the first go. one. How many are there, first of all? Ten. Okay, so give me the first one. Ten is a recurring theme. Oh really? Yeah. If it's if I if I ended up with more than ten on a on a sub checklist like this, I tried to winnow it down to ten and get rid of stuff that wasn't super critical. Why is that? Does it feel overwhelming? Yeah, it starts to feel overwhelming really quickly past ten to me. Hmm. Like right? to the point where you're like, oh, I just don't want to do this. Yeah, I mean, the, the my analysts don't even want to do this. <laughs> I mean, I make them do it. And there, it's like you gotta you gotta walk through the checklist and you gotta really fill it out. Whereas they'd rather you know write a flowery paragraph, not a flower. They'd rather write a paragraph about how it all works. And you kind of end up doing a little bit of both. You can't just check boxes off and know know that you've got it covered or it's well explained. But you've got to check the boxes off. You really do have to do that. You can't just take a generalized view. You're gonna miss something. So that's the point of a checklist. Is you don't have to hold it in your head. You're just gonna. You're going to use something that's vital as part of your checklist. So, for I just example, find it very interesting that you find that 10 is the limit for you or else, else you're like, no. And for somebody else, it might be 20 or 5. You uh, know? Jim, like, like Monash has got 9. I mean, 10 is for a section, right? right. This is the, right? Yeah. Um, you know, and I'm sure if Jim broke, Jim Kramer broke his lists up, he wrote a book about his lists. And I think he had 30 some items on there. Mm -hmm. It was just overwhelming to me. Just like, ah, oh, it's like depressing to even think about it. Yeah. But my, I yeah, can exactly. handle chunks. Exactly. So yeah. for each of us, that's going to be different. Okay. What's the first one? First one, I can describe the critical parts of this operation, of this business. I can describe the, what are the critical, critical parts. pieces that make up this business. Right, so if you're Elon Musk and you're putting together a car company, what critical pieces do you know you have to do? Well, you have to have a gigabyte manufacturing facility because nobody's building batteries, so you got to do that one. Oh, battery facility. Right, and then yeah. you got to have a, a, a manufacturing floor. You got to have a production facility mm -hmm. with lots of robots or something, right? So you, 
you're going to look at, at the pieces of the operation that you can't do without. Like he looked at the car industry and he said, you know what? I can do without dealers. Hmm. Whoa. True. True. Pretty awesome. I can sell direct. So dealers didn't turn to be, turn out to be part of, of Tesla's view of what was critical. Mm-hmm. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. So you look point. at this business and you say, okay, what are the critical parts of this operation? What can't you do without and still be a railroad? What can't you do without and still be an airline company? What can't you do without and still be a gum maker or a Coca-Cola? What do you got to have hmm. to have this business? Right? I can describe the critical parts of this operation. Of this particular business. Right. Not of the car of industry. The industry. Okay. Right. So, for example, you can be in the soft drink industry <clears throat> just by making soft drinks. You're, mm-hmm. you're in it, right? Mm-hmm. So you're making lemonade and you have a lemonade stand. Okay, mm-hmm. you're in the soft drink industry. Mm-hmm. Not a great business. If you want a great business, then one of the critical parts of it is shelf space in lots of grocery stores. How do you get that, right? So Monster, for example, created this fantastic energy drink and became very strong in the industry with their marketing, with the, the three or the three green slashes that they put on race cars and motorcycles and all kinds of high end, high energy stuff. And yeah. it's such a great, you know, visual image. So they, they were doing super well and they couldn't grow. They were having real limits to growth because they couldn't get shelf space. Why? Because Coke and Pepsi sucked it all up. And so they made a deal with Coke. Coke basically licensed into them and they were able to get access to Coke shelf space and boom, they took off like a rocket. <clears throat> so you got to know your, your business has critical things in it. Hmm. I'm glad got that you described that example because I would not have, have done that. I would not have described sales process. I would have described the operations, which to me would be like making the soda. Um, but you've added another component of of really business overall like what's the what's the business model in a way yeah what are the critical pieces of the business model that would be just as good and this will tell you if you really understand the business you like you start to dig into this and you go I don't really know what it takes for CF industries to produce fertilizer and become 40% of the fertilizer industry out there in the United States. So I, I need to know that. I need to learn mm. it. Mm. Right? If I'm going to buy a railroad company, what are the critical pieces of a railroad company in, in 2020? Right on. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Second thing. It's, well, you want me to run through all of them real quick? No. Okay. <laughs> I want them one at a time. <laughs> one at a time. It's easy to convince customers to buy. Now, this is a little bit... to convince customers to buy. Yeah, this is what I'd like to have. And I'm not going to get it all the time. Sometimes it's it's harder. But I like to have a product or a service that it's really easy. I don't don't have to sell it, right? I, I, I don't have to aggressively market it. Oh, I see. You want something that basically sells itself. Yeah. So like or your ideal your ideal company for this particular checkpoint would be something addictive. So Yes. <laughs> cigarettes. Perfect. Yes, please. Fertilizer. Nitrogen fertilizer. Highly addictive. You can't what? do corn and you can't do corn without it. Okay. Right? 
as much as people want to get oh yeah it, it's something that a lot <laughs> You're of talking lot to of, me like as though like yeah that's common knowledge what's well, sort of funny you don't people don't think of it like that but it's addictive it's like you you now have costs <clears throat> of production in farming that require that you have high yield. You got to have a lot of bushels of corn per acre or you're not going to make any money. And the reason is because farmers are producing so many bushels of corn per acre that the prices are low. It wasn't very long ago that the prices were at 1948 levels. They were so productive. So if you don't have high production per acre, you're going under as a farmer. And you can only get high production per acre year after year after year if you use nitrogen fertilizer. And environmentalists often... Uh, are concerned that nitrogen fertilizers are contributing to pollution of streams, water pollution, that they uh, that they have health risks, that they are making it impossible for the family farm. A lot of a lot of things happen there with with big hmm. ag that's driven by nitrogen fertilizer. So, oh, and it's derived from oil, which hmm. environmentalists don't love. So you get natural gas, which you then turn into ammonia. And the ammonia is a nitrogen fertilizer, and then you inject that ammonia into the soil, and it's super cost effective and super efficient, and you know with high utilization rates. So, you know, it becomes addictive. You have to have it. Is basically the deal. And same with a thing like Coca Cola. You you know, I just want a Coke, and it's a bit addictive, and there's no question about it. Mm -hmm. So yeah addictive stuff is wonderful, but it's not the only way to have it be easy to convince customers to buy. They also got to have a need that's so strong that they just have to have that product. Right? A need like a desire. A desire, right? Mm. Or sometimes it's a requirement. I have to have this thing or I can't do something else, you know? Mm -hmm. At this point in time, like I have to have a computer. I have mm -hmm. to have a cell phone. I have to have a smartphone. You have to have a smartphone or I can't function out here. Yeah. So it's easy to convince customers to buy an Apple iPhone. It's driven by how integrated its ecosystem is with all the rest of the Apple products. Mm -hmm. And that drive to not have to strain to figure out how to make things work together is so strong and most of us were willing to pay a premium for it. Mm -hmm. Right? And like Warren said, he decided he was going to buy Apple computer when he found out a good friend of his who has a private jet said, I'd give up the private jet before I gave up my iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> Bad choice. Bad choice. <laughs> I'm just going to say that right now. <laughs> so, okay. Easy to convince customers to buy. Okay. And that means in the company you're looking at right now, it probably wasn't easy to convince customers to chew gum originally or to buy a Coke originally, but now we're down the road a hundred years. And those brands are so well established that I'm going to choose Wrigley gum over, you know, Dharma gum if I'm in New Delhi, if I want to chew gum. If I'm hmm. in Singapore, I'm not going to chew like gum. It seems like a really subjective checklist point. Like, this thing? Am I going to be going, oh, yeah, it's really easy to convince customers to buy gum? I don't know if it's easy. They spend no, an awful not lot to just on buy advertising. Gum, not the industry thing. No, to buy Wrigley's gum. In other words, you've already got somebody who's going to buy gum. Now, is it easy to convince them to buy your gum? Yeah, and the answer I, I is a hundred years of marketing. Say yeah, that that's it is. what I'm. That's what I'm saying. So they've 
done, they've put huge amounts of money into marketing to convince people to buy their gum. So if that ended, would it be easy to convince people to buy their gum? I don't know. I don't think so. I think people would probably forget about it pretty quickly. Maybe so. Would they? Well, let's take a different like, one. Would they I don't forget know. about Coca Cola pretty quickly? No, I think that's a different. I can't uh, even remember the last time I saw a Coke ad on TV. I don't even know if they advertise on TV. I guess oh they do. Oh my gosh, they do like do crazy. they all the time? Yeah. I see them in the movie theater all the time. <laughs> but okay, so you get the general idea, though. It is. I subjective. guess so. I guess yeah. I guess okay. So it's just subjective. You yeah. kind of this is more of like a a feeling from learning about the company. And this is why we like to buy companies that are well-established. One of our rules is to, to get companies that have 10 years of data. And that rule comes about in part because we want it established. We don't want to be into a new company that has to convince people to use it. That's really an uphill battle. Hmm. And you don't know if they're going to win. So when we're looking at electric car companies, for example... It's yeah, very like difficult it. for us to buy Tesla because we don't know for sure that they're going to win. We don't know what's going to happen when all these other companies come out with electric cars. Is Tesla going to be able to I keep guess, its technological the, advantage? That's not what the checklist is asking. I mean, I think Tesla is a really interesting example and we keep trotting it out because it's so different from other companies. So is it easy to convince customers to buy a Tesla? Yeah. It's right really people, it people are, have been on waiting lists for years to get a Tesla. Exactly. Exactly. So right yeah, now I it would is, say, will it yeah, but that's what the Tesla, so? that's what it's asking me. It's easy to convince customers to buy. Yep. So you could check that box for Tesla, okay. but then you better look out into the future too, huh? I don't know. Is there, is that part well, of it? We'll get to that. Okay. <laughs> we'll definitely get to that. All right. So there we go. Check that okay. box with Tesla. All right. Now, number three, customers love the company. Customers love the company. So they have right. feelings about this company. Yeah. It's certainly the case with Tesla. Definitely. Right? I, and we're sort of in a discussion about fertilizer companies. Do farmers love their fertilizer company? Well, maybe not. They might find it, is it abusive <laughs> that they have to buy this stuff and they have to pay for it? <laughs> so they may not be in love with it. So I think you have to say this in terms of... um need or love, right? I guess if it's a hmm. if it's something you don't need, do you love the company and you want to buy it anyway, like Coke yeah, or Yeah, like burrito? is it a good experience to work with this company? I think that's a really important component when it comes to more business-to-business -business kinds of products. I, th I think you're looking at need. I'm looking at not so much is it a good experience as do I have to have it even if it's not a good experience? That would be Wait, what? Uh, that would be a, on now the level of need. Now you're changing it? Yeah, I'm going to add something. This says customers love the company. Yeah. Love, I'm going to say love slash need. Oh. Change alert. Yeah. Customers love slash, love need, slash the need the company. Because they need fertilizer. They may not love the fertilizer company, but they need fertilizer. Mm -hmm. um, and I think there's maybe a lot of companies like that. Microsoft certainly fell into that category. I don't know anybody who loved Microsoft back in the 80s. No. Nobody. They hated Microsoft because it was just a mess. But it was a mess that was on every single desk in your office. Michael, they, your company standardized on the PC. And yeah. that meant they were standardized on Microsoft. And even if Apple was way better, way easier to use, you, you wanted to do it, your company forced you to use Microsoft. Yeah, but I think this checklist point is 
getting, well, it was until we added need, it was getting to the point of customers want to work with this company. If they have a choice, would they stay with it? And you're saying they love it. So yes, they would stay with it. And that example of Microsoft in the 80s, customers hated Microsoft. They only stayed with it because they had to. And as soon as they didn't have to anymore, they got away and Microsoft crashed. And it's only because they've gotten into cloud that they've been able to rebound in the way that they have. So I'm not sure that adding need is necessarily a good choice here. It depends on what you're getting after. What I'm getting after is how likely are people going to stay with you? And so yeah. on the on a on a company that's a a, a choice like a Harley Davidson or a Coca Cola or a Wrigley's Gum, you better have customers who love you and they mm-hmm. want to just keep coming back. Because on a company like it. Microsoft or CF, they better keep needing you because they don't love you. They <laughs> simply have to buy it. And so you'd be if you knew that was the case for your company, you'd be watching that. Like you'd be watching Microsoft, all of a sudden people started having choices and they started to crumble. You'd be like, oh, out of here. Something huge has changed in the moat. Okay. Right, onward. Okay. Suppliers, same basic question. They love slash need this company. What, so what this is would that be, one? Suppliers? This would be suppliers love slash need the company. And, suppliers um, love slash need So the for company. example, the components that go into Coca-Cola, aluminum, sugar, Right, that sort of stuff. Do do their suppliers love Coca Cola or um, or do they hate them? Are they are they like are they like Walmart where the suppliers are in a love hate relationship? Hmm. Right, mm-hmm. or do, you know, with CF Industries, the suppliers need to have CF out there. It's it's sucking up natural gas that they would have just blown into the air and burned off. And so they, they, I think in that case, they love them. Hey, I'm so glad you exist. I'm glad you got pipes right to my wellhead. Here, take this excess gas so we don't have to burn it and pay us for it. Awesome. Thank you. And why look at suppliers? Why focus on that? It, because they might choose other companies to supply to instead in an exclusive agreement or something? Yeah, exactly. You, you, you may be looking at a company that has values you don't share right there. Like I really think Walmart's a great example of this where... You know, I like I like the value that they have for low prices, mm-hmm. but I don't like the values they have that get them there, mm-hmm. which create, I mean, they just create havoc out there with American workers and American companies that are trying to supply them at lower and lower prices with the threat of Walmart taking it overseas. And I just, I just don't like that value. So I like to kind of know where my suppliers are as part of the whole picture. Like how happy the they are to be in business with these people. Yeah. And maybe it would be appropriate to move that down to the love part of this whole checklist exercise. You know, that would be maybe informing me better about how my values are being met here. But I, I, I still think it's a good thing to look at in moat. Okay. Okay. All right. Next. Next. No, I know the competitive advantage of the business. Now I'm going to tell you. I know the competitive advantage of yep. this business. And the next one is I know why it's durable. And then the next one is, I know why it's intrinsic. So we're going to break this out. <laughs> we're going to break this out. So I know the competitive advantage of the business, right? If I'm running a railroad company, I know it's got railroad tracks, which give it an advantage of shipping goods super cheap. So heavy commodity kinds of things that don't have a lot of margin, like coal or let's say 
um, automobiles or, you know, stuff that's, it it is a heavy, heavy item and it moves in bulk. Um, That's a huge advantage to put it on a train because if you put it on a truck, it's going to cost you 10 times more Mm -hmm. to get it across the country. Mm -hmm. So that's the competitive advantage. Okay. What was the next one? Is it durable? I know why it's durable. I know why the company is durable. Why the competitive advantage is durable. Oh, why the competitive advantage is durable. Okay, got it. So the competitive advantage of the business is we can move freight super cheap. And I know it's durable because super cheap is going to last a long time. I don't see anything on the horizon that's going to get super cheaper. You don't see any disruptor coming. So Mm -hmm. all the stuff you, all the work that you did earlier on the checklist about why businesses fail and how the industry will stay strong then informs this next part of the checklist. Yep. And then finally, I know why the competitive advantage is intrinsic and very difficult to copy. And so again, why the competitive advantage is intrinsic and difficult to copy. And that means intrinsic means to me anyway, that it's baked into the company in such a way that you're not, you're not that company without that thing. Yeah. So I agree with with that. With, with railroads, it's railroad tracks, right? And, and the reason that those are intrinsic is because you're not a railroad company without railroad tracks. And the reason it's difficult to copy is because those railroad tracks were laid down on right-of-ways granted uh, almost 200 years ago. And so you can't get right-of-ways. And that makes those things super durable, right? Same thing I always with- think about intrinsic um, competitive advantage as why did this company come into existence in the first place? Hmm. Like what made this come? Like there were other companies out there. So what made this one be able to even enter the marketplace? Oh, I kind of like that, Uh, especially after I read um, McElvey's book um, on building square, where he talks about building an innovative innovation stack and each innovation that you come up with builds your moat. It builds your competitive advantage because you've just solved a problem no one else has been able to solve. Mm. And so he points out, um, let's say that Southwest Airlines comes out and builds an innovation stack by solving problems that nobody could solve by, let's say, standardizing on one aircraft in order to reduce, massively reduce their costs for training, maintenance, you know, crew um, scheduling, all, all these things that cost a lot of money on an airline. He eliminated tons of them just by standardizing on an aircraft. Mm-hmm. And he standardized on an aircraft because he had to solve another problem, which is how to get in and out of relatively small airports, how to, how to come in and out of Dallas, Love Field, Burbank, mm-hmm. you know, all these different airports that weren't the mainstream airline, airlines. Mm-hmm. Um, so he wasn't going to fly long term, long runs. So he could do it with a with a, a certain kind of an aircraft. Um, I mean, just one problem after another that that uh, he talks about in his book, innovation, which show you how you build intrinsic value. And the, the coolest thing about it was toward the end, he said, you know, we have enormous comp- competitive advantage that's intrinsic to us, and it's these innovation stacks. It's the stack of innovations we made. And we tried to patent the little square device that plugged into the, and mm-hmm. couldn't patent it. 
So the main thing that everybody thinks of as Square wasn't patentable. And yet Amazon, which tried to take over their business, couldn't compete with them. Hmm. And it wasn't because they couldn't make the Square thing that goes in your phone. It was because of the rest of the innovation stack that they had not figured out yet. Hmm. Hmm. Really cool. Really so cool. Look at figure out what is it in what's intrinsic about that that innovation that this business has to accomplish in order to be in the business and solve the problem that you're talking about. So I really mm -hmm. like what you said. That's a, a really good way to look at it. Well, and I think with the railroad example, it's it doesn't exist without the tracks. That's what you're saying. It's it doesn't exist. It's intrinsic. Yeah. You're not a railroad. But it can be hard it can be hard to sort of figure out like what's really intrinsic versus what's sort of happened that adds it's an add on or it's been created later and, and that's it just helps me sort of figure that out. Yep. And difficult to copy. Yeah, um, difficult to copy. Meaning, so Coca-Cola has so shelf space. One is almost like backward looking and one is almost forward looking. Difficult to copy okay. today, right? Okay. Yeah. So don't you think? Yeah. So yeah. it's what's, like what makes it difficult what today? What new company I remember from another checklist we did at some point. It was um it was how difficult or how much money would a new company coming in to compete have to spend in order to really compete, in order to really copy what you're doing cuz anybody can copy anybody can copy square right if they figure out what all those innovations are um but can they not I mean, anymore not anymore right they've taken the business yeah so you have the first mover and now advantage every and... single car company out there is trying to copy tesla and right. it's really really hard at this point cuz tesla has um the branding and the status but unlike Square, which simply takes over the business and has all the merchant accounts, right? You have no reason to move to somebody else because you're not going to get a better deal. I mean, Square, well, as long as Square continues could to get a better function, deal, right? Yeah, so probably not. I think Square's <laughs> narrowed, narrowed their their margins down to a point where you really can't compete. Okay, you could you could do it for the same, but you probably can't do it for less, right? So that does not exist in the car company business. What what, what does not exist? What, what Tesla owners are going to find out is that um, everybody doesn't want to drive the same car. Right. And so even if Tesla for a while is the best car of its type, e-cars, people are going to want to buy the Porsche because it doesn't look like a Tesla. I just saw this. I went, I went to uh, um, San Diego. I went over to some restaurant and you know how the valets will park the hot cars in front? Mm -hmm. You know, like, hey, we're so cool. We have mm -hmm. these people inside. Mm -hmm. It was just like four Teslas and a couple of Mercedes. And the mm -hmm. Teslas were all identical. And well, you yeah. just look at that and you go, ah, uh, that ain't going to last. People who want to be special are going to look at this lineup and they're going to go, well, I'm not buying a Tesla because I'm not yeah. going to put a fifth Tesla out here. But I think, I think it's been... Either either there's stuff going on that I don't know about or Tesla is difficult to copy because nobody has really done it. They've made electric cars that are hideously ugly and hideously slow, or they've made electric cars that are beautiful and super fast and really, really expensive. And nobody's and don't go very far. And don't go very far. And nobody's <laughs> quite hit that Tesla thing of I mean, Tesla did make the roadster, you know, but that's that's not the main Tesla that's out there. It's the Model S and a little bit the X and now the Model 3. So these are like family cars. And 
nobody's nobody else has quite hit that. I haven't seen it. So I think it's difficult to copy. Now, do I think it's not copyable? No, I think all these car companies are going to copy them like crazy and figure it out and um, start to offer the options that you're talking about. But yeah, and it's it's going to be real interesting to see if Tesla could continue with this idea. So that that's people that's just your second your point, right? Online. Is the competitive advantage durable? That's your right. your second that's of those three. Right. Is it intrinsic and durable? So I think Tesla has some technology that's intrinsic and people are going to copy it. I mean, forget the idea that they can't copy your technology. They will eventually figure it out. Mm -hmm. What's really going to be interesting is if they, if Tesla starts to figure out that it needs salesmen, right? Well, they if have it, salesmen. I mean, it's shutting down its stores. It's not opening more. <laughs> yeah. Well, they said that for one day and then took it back. Oh, they did? Yeah. Well, that's good because I think you need salesmen. <laughs> I mean, Especially I went to the Tesla store in Zurich. I've, I've seen it. I, I took a test drive. I know how it works. By the way, did you see their SUV? Did they have one there? I drove it, yeah. Did you like it? Um, It was okay. I mean, <laughs> we didn't buy one. Let's put it that I way. Sat, I sat in one. 105,000 mm -hmm. US. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's the up. That's pushing beyond the up. Well, that's right there. It's a little bit less than my AMG cost, okay? The, mm -hmm. the Mercedes AMG and um, it goes faster and it probably corners better. Um, and I'm, I think Mercedes made all the interior stuff they did <laughs> put in it. Yeah. All the components yeah. are Mercedes. So when so you sit sort of in it, it feels like a Mercedes. It's weird. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, what's not to like about that thing? And it, and it goes like 400 miles or some crazy number. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I remember I talked about it on the podcast. It was kind of a, it was like, fine. Like, that was our, that was our experience. It was nice. And I got car sick because of the, <laughs> right. because of the thing where the brake automatically breaks when you take your foot off the gas pedal. And so it was way too jerky for me and I get really motion sick anyway. Um... And yeah, we kind of left going, that was nice. And nice isn't enough to spend nice that kind enough. of money on a car. So right. we ended well, up getting really a mini. Were you in the market for a car like, oh, you probably were. All right, onward. Okay. So basically three things here to talk about the competitive advantage is durable and intrinsic and difficult to copy. Yeah, I think we, we should to... I think we should conclude there actually. Okay. Okay. Then we can wrap up. Because that's a good stopping only, spot with those more. three. Okay, we'll do the right? last three. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll pick those up next time. Okay, so those last three were, I know the competitive advantage of this business. I know, I can't read my own notes. And it's durable. Oh, I know the competitive advantage is durable, and I know why the competitive advantage is intrinsic and difficult to copy. Right on. Okay, right on. cool. Yeah, let's All pick right. it up there next time. We'll continue with Moat next time. All right. And until then, time to go play. Thanks, everybody. See Bye. Hi, guys. Thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information, including show notes and more episodes, visit us at investedpodcast.com. There's a special offer waiting for podcast listeners to attend my three-day investing workshop absolutely free. So just head to investedpodcast.com. Everything discussed on this podcast is either my opinion or Danielle's opinion and is not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your investment advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I hope you enjoyed it.